Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way towards a better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. This is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And yeah, here we are back uh, for another exciting conversation. I can't wait, but I want to know how you're doing, Kira. So let's start with that. What's up? Oh, I'm doing well. And, you know, things are good. There's lots of reasons for optimism floating out in the world, even amongst yeah. the, <laughs> amongst the rest of it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's feeling like springtime right now. I mean, I guess, you know, here in Northern California, we have like, you know, the dreary weeks and the sunny weeks. And I don't know how we manage to feel all the same emotions that people in like, you know, <laughs> in the four four seasons types of climates do. But like, anytime it's a no nice warm week, I'm like, yeah, springtime. And then, <laughs> I, then you just go right back into winter the next week. Uh, I mean, I guess this happens in other climates too, but here it's kind of year round, you know? Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, but there's something very spring-like about this week for me. I feel like I'm hearing a lot of people starting new things. There's a sense of like start people starting to go to businesses again, which is cool. We got to, our, we're just starting to hear plans of how our state is going to open back up. It's like, yeah, a lot of that um so yeah i'm feeling it good good my head has been in building decarbonization this week i have to say i'm a little you know when you get in a rabbit hole <laughs> i'm there yeah um, which is yeah. good there's a lot of activity happening and that's exciting there's lots of um committees and subgroups of committees forming in different organizations addressing this topic and so there's a lot of effort trying to get those all sort of coordinated and make sure it's not a bunch of siloed activity around the same topic that isn't isn't connected to one another. And so that's good. That's exciting. And there have been, yeah. I think there's been a lot of, um, there've been a fair number of things in the news about that topic too. And I was recently really encouraged by a piece by, um, I don't know if you know Tim Kohut, um, he's with the National Community Renaissance. Um, Cool. Group, no. National Core, they're known as. Um, they're a large affordable housing developer out here in California. And um, they're really talking a lot about the cost savings that they're able to realize with building decarbonization and electrification and other sustainability measures and how they're able to pass those savings along to the owners and to the residents of housing developments and protect them from energy cost spikes in the future. And to me, that's like a really important part of the story that we haven't really been telling well enough along the way, um, which is especially important right now as we're sort of, you know, there's a lot more talk about how we're going to really, really get off fossil fuels and, and what it's going to take to do that. Um, so I'm kind of excited about all that. Yes. Okay. So this brings up like a, it's kind of a pet peeve, but it's kind of just a thing I want to start talking about, which is the difference between the term decarbonization and the term electrification. So can we just talk about that for a second? Yeah. Um, okay. So like, in my opinion, electrification is a very clear term and it makes sense. And it is this idea of getting natural gas out of buildings um, and yes. having everything be electrified. And I'm, I'm down with it. I'm super excited about it. I think it's a wonderful thing. What I don't love is how sometimes people use the word decarbonization to imply that they're only talking about electrification. And like, 
I get that that's a thing you could do. And I like the word, I guess I'm just not convinced that we want to use it that way because decarbonization of the building sector is going to involve a lot of efficiency work and a lot of renewable energy work as well. Yes. And I don't always know that people appreciate that sort of nuance. You know what I mean? I think sometimes people are like, oh yeah, decarbonization. It's when we get all the natural gas out of the buildings. And I'm like, no, no. I don't know. No, no, no. That, that's actually why I said, and instead of like, yeah, I, I don't I don't see them as the same. And I think you're absolutely right that it's it, it, they are. Well, this is an interesting moment, too, because the terms that we always struggle with the terms when they're not well understood yet. And we yeah. definitely are at the beginning of that, or at least a lot of the industries are at the beginning of that. Right. Yeah, totally. And so um, I see building decarbonization as a much bigger uh, topic and it is an umbrella over a lot of activities that have to do with all sorts of things. I mean, that's why underneath that you have, I mean, electrification issues, but you also have on-site carbon issues and you have total, I mean, then trying to look at total carbon too, um, over the life right. of the building. Um, so, yeah. so much more. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. And I actually think, I mean, one thing that's nice about this is that we're not the only sector using these terms, electrification and decarbonization. So maybe this issue between the two terms will get resolved sort of in the bigger scale of this sort of clean economy transition and people yeah. will use them better as we go along. Um, but they're both kind of new trend terms. Uh, yes. And so I, I think it's now's the time to, for all of us, I'm putting out a call to our listeners, please be precise when you use these terms, it Indeed. will help us all in the long run. <laughs> Indeed, I'm so glad you brought that up, Lindsay. And you uh, know, we should have a whole show on like the language around sustainability. Yeah. Oh, I love <laughs> that idea. That is so nerdy, but I think everybody that listens to this podcast nerdy. would be down <laughs> with it. Um, so yes. Uh, send us a send us a note on Twitter if you agree that yes. we should have a conversation about terms. <laughs> yes. Um, I, yeah, I just think you know words mean a lot. They, they do. They do. They, they absolutely things. do. I yeah. was on the phone this morning with a with a um, the um, Grant Irvin, who's the chief resilience officer in Pittsburgh, and we were talking about the term resilience and and all and a bunch of other terms that relate to the, the work that we're doing and. There's so many of them are understood differently by different sectors and then understood, frankly, poorly in the general public, right? Like they yeah. they have a very narrow meaning or even a negative connotation when in fact, a lot of it is sort of trying to go, go towards the positive, so. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. So much there. Uh, well, I'm looking actually, forward to that. Yeah, and that's actually a great way to uh, introduce our guest for today, actually, I think. Um, we are really excited to have Jasmine Moore with us today. Welcome. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We are delighted to have you, Jasmine. Um, let me do a quick introduction and then we will jump into uh, the discussion for today. Jasmine is the Sustainability Director for Douglas County, Kansas and the city of Lawrence, Kansas, where she guides county and city initiatives ranging from energy efficiency to food policy and promotes responsible management of resources to meet environmental, economic, and human needs. 
She was a key champion for the integration of sustainability and equity into funding criteria for the Lawrence Capital Improvements Plan, which was a first in the state of Kansas. And I wanna give a little special shout out because I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas, and so I am particularly personally excited to have Jasmine on to talk a little bit about the sustainability efforts in what I, my hometown. And um, Jasmine, we are really excited um, to talk to you about this. So, but to kick us off, I would love it if you could tell us about how and why you got involved in planning and sustainability and specifically with sustainability at the community scale. Can you describe your path for us? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for the question. I think that you'll find and probably you have found over your conversations with many people that um, the path to sustainability is not uh, set in stone and we each come to it from you know, our, our own background uh, and there's a, such a variety of backgrounds that, um, that lead to sustainability as a career path. Um, so for me, I know about sustainability at all. Uh, it, it wasn't a term that was widely used uh, when I was growing up. And when I was in college, I was trying to figure out what to do with my life. And I was actually in my final year at University of Kansas in Lawrence. And um, tried to, it was graduation was quickly approaching and I was unsure of what I wanted to do. And I, my origin story started with uh, a guest speaker in a class. And uh, that guest speaker was from the Centers for Disease Control. And they talked about the 1996 Atlanta Olympics and how they uh, told everyone not to drive downtown during that time because if, you, if you've been to Atlanta, you already know that traffic is ridiculous. Um, and so you can imagine what that would look like with an international event in town. And so what they did is they measured traffic during that time. Uh, and they found that there was a significant decrease in traffic, about 25%. And at the same time, they also measured that there was a even more dramatic decrease in asthma hospitalizations. Um, so there were same number of uh, broken arms, same number of heart attacks, same rate uh, for, for all those other things, but asthma hospitalizations went down something like 40% during that time. And I heard that statistic and the light bulb went off in my head and I said, that was, that's one suggested behavior change that has led to a significant improvement in the public health of a whole community. What is that job? Because I think that's what I wanna do. Um, and so that's where that community scale uh, intervention uh, and impact really came to life for me. And as a result of that, I started to do research and discovered urban planning, which I didn't know anything about um, to that point, and thought about transportation planning, uh, looked at public health as an option, and ultimately decided to um, go to University of Texas at Austin, where there was a professor there that was working specifically on built environment and public health and how they related to each other. And so it was that point where I was able to really do some research and get more involved in a better understanding of the history of built environment and impact on the choices that we have as individuals for our health um, and how that uh, is related to the place that we live and work and exist in each day. 
Um, and so after that, I ended up working for the city of San Antonio as a planner and then uh, moved to the Little Rock, Arkansas area and was able to work for the uh, Metropolitan Planning Organization there. And it was at that point where sustainability was becoming this hot term. And we had our member cities asking us as the you know, uh, regional leader uh, on transportation and other planning uh, topics, what is sustainability and what should we be doing about it as individual cities? Uh, and so they came to us as an organization and our executive director had a staff meeting and said, okay, this is a topic that our, our communities want to know more about, uh, who's interested in taking this on? And that was about as broad as, it, as the question was. And that was the, the question that I responded to. And I said, I'll try it. And uh, so after raising my hand, I was given a lot of space to figure out what that conversation looked like. And we ultimately had conversations with youth in, in the community, with you know, so-called technical experts, as well as the broad community and developed a, a sustainability, uh, a green agenda for central Arkansas. And to your point earlier, in, in terms of language, it was important that in central Arkansas, we didn't just automatically assume that people knew what sustainability was. Uh, it was important for us to define it as a community um, and not just adopt the, the UN definition or something that was used in you know, Berkeley, California. Um, because that was not going to fly in, in Arkansas. And so uh, we had those community conversations and, and what does it mean to be sustainable in, in Arkansas and uh, came up with our own language. Um, and because we were able to do that, we had a lot more ownership into that process. Um, and ultimately, it was adopted by the region and led to um, you know, millions of dollars in community grants and implementation so, uh, so that path uh, towards sustainability was not one that I wrote. Uh, it was not one that I even knew existed. Um, it was a matter of, you know, being able to uh, think creatively, to uh, listen to uh, community members, and to uh, have the drive to uh, and momentum to keep momentum going so that we as a community could come together on, on a topic like that that was unfamiliar at the time to, uh, to that community. I love this idea, Jasmine, that like that you'd make your own definitions and you sort of envision that with a community. I think that's super powerful. Um, I also just in a nerdy way have to go back to this story about the CDC study on asthma. Um, it's um, I, so I didn't know this about you and I'm so excited because um, I don't know if it would have been the same person that came to speak in your class, but that the person that set me on my career was a guy named Howie Frumpkin who talks a lot about that study and is, was with um, Emory and the CDC and then that whole community. And so I was like, oh, she has a very similar inspiration story um, to mine. And I just was excited about that. Um, so, you know, yeah, what, a, what an important study that ended up being for so many Right, people. right. It inspired a lot of people. 
Yeah, yeah. I, having grown up in Atlanta during the Olympics, I can I remember what it felt like to be able to actually get around the city with a little clearer air and more people on public transit, and it was a beautiful thing. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> I just wanted to wanted to give a shout out to to those folks at the CDC who did that work. It's it's been it's been inspiring. Um, but yeah. I love seeing those ripples from from things like that. And I I think it's especially interesting that there is a this sort of public health route to your sustainability path, because I feel like that's actually something that in recent years, a lot of the people active in the sustainable buildings community haven't been as connected to, but should, but now are sort of reconnecting to a little bit. So I'm it's, I find it fascinating that there's a public health um, you know, that that was the spark in a way. And I love that you both have that connection to that study. That's fantastic. Um, Jasmine, I wanted to ask too, um, for, we, we think that there's a number of people that listen to this podcast who are fairly early on or mapping their paths right now in this profession. And I'm curious about what you would suggest for people who are entering it or moving about in their early phases of their profession, what they should be good at and interested in um, and what you, how you would advise them. So one of the things that I have found during my time in this field is that oftentimes it's less about the technical expertise and it's more about the ability to be creative and patient and curious um, because I think we we all know that we've had the technical solutions for climate change uh, for a long time. Uh, I think we, we all know what needs to happen. Um, so it's not about finding the technical expertise. Uh, it's about the political will to actually have the, um, the confidence and uh, be brave enough to uh, to make those changes. And so that's where a lot of the work that I do is about relationship building, um, finding out what people's values are and how my work can connect to their values and advance their values, um, figuring out creative ways uh, to resource things. Um, for a long time, sustainability hasn't been a field, especially in local government that has been um, appropriately resourced. And so oftentimes it really is about bringing people together, figuring out how to leverage resources. Um, when you bring those players to the table, how can we look at what, what we all have together and then how we can move forward with, with those resources or looking at grants uh, to figure out how to advance those things. Um, I would say patience because sustainability is really about the long game. Uh, as we know, there's we don't have a whole lot of time, um, but uh, sustainability is about changing systems and that doesn't happen quickly. And so uh, coming into this field and expecting to change things on a dime, uh, you're going to be disappointed and you're going to be very frustrated. And so it does require persistence, um, but it also requires patience. Um, and then the final thing around curiosity, uh, there's, there's always going to be uh, reasons to say no to different things, especially um, in systems that have always operated a certain way. 
And so having the curiosity and creativity to think differently about how to make progress is a necessity in, in this work um, because uh, if you're not curious about how to make something work, then it, it's you're going to get stopped every time um, and it's going to be really frustrating. So I would say, you know, creativity, patience, uh, relationship building and curiosity are, are really attributes that uh, help help me be successful in this profession. I love that. Thank you. It is wonderful to hear all of those things. And I appreciate just, yeah, that um, it's, it's good as a reminder to anyone out there that frustration is a part of the work and, <laughs> and patience really helps with that. Um, so thanks for that. Um, I, I think we all need to hear that sometimes. Um, okay, well, so let's talk a little bit more about your work. I want to start by asking you what you're most proud of accomplishing in your work life. Um, we just like to hear these highlights. What what for you has really stood out so far, um, whether it be, you know, a moment in time or something more long lasting? What would you say? As I was reflecting on this question, I thought of this last year because really this last year, um, 2020 going into 2021 with the pandemic, it has been about survival, <laughs> to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. And so I am a working mom. I have two young kids at home who are first grader and a fourth grader um, who were also doing school remotely until like this la last week. Uh, and now they're in two days a week. So having um, all of us at home and my partners here as well. And so having everybody in the house, everybody's still trying to maintain a normal um, normal workload, school load, as well as being in a pandemic and uh, all the complications that came with that. Uh, so I'm feeling pretty positive that we, we all survived that this last year, because at, at this point it's been just over a year. Um, because at the beginning of the, when things were starting to shut down, I was feeling very overwhelmed with like, how, how, how am I going to manage, uh, continuing to do work and be productive in a space where it is all about the strate strategy, thinking long-term. Um, and it's hard to do that when you're experiencing the trauma of a pandemic, which we all have. Um, it's hard to do that when, you have all these different distractions that normally you don't have. Um, so like with my first grader, he loves Zoom meetings. And so he loved to pop in on most all of my meetings. And so that that's a distraction as well, a welcome distraction for most of the people on the Zoom call. But, um, but when you're trying to have those strategic uh, moments and you're interrupted, you know, several times an hour, that's difficult. And so, uh, so I will say my biggest accomplishment as of today is surviving this last year. Um, when it comes to, you know, policy successes, I think these last couple years have been pretty amazing because of the community that I, I work in. Um, in Lawrence and Douglas County, uh, we're fortunate to have uh, some leadership that is, you know, willing to say yes to some pretty bold statements. So last year, the, the 
um, Lawrence City Commission adopted a 100% renewable energy goal for city operations as well as the whole community by 2035. And uh, actually that recommendation had come to the city commission uh, to be further out like 2050. And the city commission said, that's not fast enough. We need to go faster, let's make it 2035. And so um, having that level of support uh, from the highest levels in both the city and the county has been really amazing and has really given me space to, to think even more boldly about what's possible um, in the community and how we can be a leader uh, in this space for the rest of the state and you know the rest of the region and uh, throughout the country. That's awesome. And congratulations on, on all of that, and especially on this moment of having uh, moved up the, the due date. That's really awesome and inspiring to hear. Um, okay, well, so let's talk about other aspects of this sort of, of, of what it means to be a government official. Uh, I'm really interested in this question because it just feels I, I, I had one job working in city government and I was like, I don't know if I got this. I don't know if, this, if I have the patience and I wanna to talk to you about your role in working with the community. Um, can you talk about how you've learned to manage uh, the relationship with citizens in your community? What do you think works well for doing that? So, <clears throat> There are a couple examples of how, you know, the people who live and work in Lawrence and Douglas County have pushed us to, to um, move faster when it comes to sustainability goals, um, have informed what those sustainability goals are. And one of those examples is uh, the development of a food system plan for the county which was a conversation that started over a decade ago. And because of the, um, the leadership of one of our county commissioners at the time and the person who was in my role form before me, um, they were able to establish a food policy council for Douglas County. And that food policy council was made up of um, a variety of stakeholders and was the first food policy council in the state. And now there are a ton of them in, um, in the state of Kansas. Uh, and the, the conversation in that food policy council as it started up was around, okay, what are we trying to accomplish? What are our, our shared goals here? And so uh, that led to the development of a food system plan. And there was a heavy emphasis on um, getting voices that aren't typically at the table when it comes to like developing a, a government plan. Um, because we know that everybody's touched by the food system. And we also know that, uh, you know, a lot of people that work in the food industry um, aren't, uh, aren't involved in, in government operations on a daily basis. And so that plan really established a, a good model for us to engage with community in a, and connect with, with community in a way that involved storytelling and collecting stories. It involved uh, photography and art. Um, it involved poetry. Uh, it involved shared meals around a table. 
Um, and through that work, we were able to one, hire people from the community to talk with people from the community, from their communities. Uh, so compensate people for, for that work. Uh, and as well as use those stories and content to shape the priorities and embed equity within the development of a food system plan. Um, and throughout, because of the process that we went through, uh, we have a lot more community buy-in to that plan itself and ownership of the plan. And so it's not just reliant on the city and the county to uh, put forth policies or programs. We have community organizations that are taking pieces of that plan to structure their goals and their initiatives as, as organizations. They're using our food system plan to write grants to advance that work. Um, and I think that all comes back to the approach of the importance of engaging with community to shape those goals. Um, and you know that is possible because we had that food policy council that acted as an advisory board to our county commission. Um, and so having groups like that is really key to moving the work further faster uh, because if it was just something that was led by staff or just something that was a pet project of one commissioner, it, it wouldn't have gotten done. Um, similarly, for the city of Lawrence, we have a sustainability advisory board and that's made up of 10 people from the community, uh, no specific expertise needed. It's, it's 10 people who are passionate about sustainability. And over the last couple of years, like I mentioned earlier, that group has really ushered through some bold sustainability goals for the city of Lawrence, including that 100% renewable goal. And most recently they um, uh, recommended and was adopted by the city commission to uh, incorporate elements of the, the Green New Deal into city policy and programs, uh, which is a pretty, like when you look at the elements of the Green New Deal, they are not radical by any means, but you wouldn't know that by how it's been characterized in these last couple of years. Um, so I'm really excited that those types of things have been able to move forward because like I said, if that were a Jasmine initiative, a staff initiative, there's no way that that would have gotten before the city commission uh, within six months of it being an idea. So having those advisory boards, I think is really key to moving policy forward in a meaningful way. That totally makes sense. I love it. I hope that resonates with folks out there who have similar roles and working with um, with the community the way that you do. That's, um, I, I love it, thank you. Uh, okay, so let's talk about more of, of your other projects. Can you tell us about something that you're working on right now that you think that our listeners would wanna know about? Um, what's, what's, like, what's on your mind? What's the, what's the exciting thing? Well, for me, policy is always exciting um, because it's it's really about changing those systems. Um, and so there's, for the city of Lawrence, we're in the process of uh, really fleshing out a strategic plan for the city. And uh, it's being done in a way that um, is different than any other strategic plan that ha has been adopted by the city. And environmental sustainability is a core commitment that is embedded in pretty much everything, everything uh, 
within the plan. And so every one of the five outcomes has to have an environmental sustainability component to it. Um, and the, the biggest thing that I'm excited about is that every budget request for 2022, which that budget's being developed right now, has to directly support the strategic plan. And so that means that some of the things that we have said are important in the past, um, but haven't been resourced in the past, that can no longer be the case. We have said that we have these um, five outcome areas, and that is what we are focused on as a city. And so every dollar that we spend has to be in support of those five focus areas. And each one of those five focus areas has to incorporate environmental sustainability. And so, you know, thinking back to a comment I made earlier around uh, resources for sustainability offices in, in local government, I'm a part of a network uh, that's nationwide and includes Canada, that's sustainability directors from across the country and Canada. And one of the constant challenges is, uh, you know, how are, how are we expected to do this transformational work with very little resources? And so to be in a, an environment where uh, we're having these tough conversations uh, and, and the leadership is sincere, about um, the commitment to environmental sustainability, I'm really excited to see how that all plays out. Um, I know it's it's going to be tough uh, to have these conversations and think about like, okay, what what may have to fall off the the to do list that maybe we've been doing for a really long time, but no longer fits within the five priorities that we we say that we're focused on. Um, and so, you know, those sustainability principles from the the Green New Deal are going to be integrated into that. Um, the 100% renewable goal is integrated into that strategic plan. So I'm I'm very excited about how how this is how we can be an example of how how we are really putting resources behind what we say we value. Uh, I love that every bit of it, and I'm uh, there's so much more we could talk about there, but I I want to. I don't know, just keep getting through all of this good stuff. So I'm going to ask you our next question, which is about, um, I, well, it's basically about what you found in doing this work um, that you didn't expect. Uh, where have been, I guess, sources of, sources of helpful energy for you, I guess. Mm -hmm. you, could, you could also talk about the not helpful, but what have you been, what have you found that's been helpful? So I appreciate this question because um, as I mentioned earlier, a, a lot of sustainability is less about the technical pieces, um, less about putting the puzzle pieces together and more about like the other dynamics uh, in the room. And so I will say that as a, a black woman working in the field of sustainability, I don't think it's a surprise to any of your listeners that um, that there's not that many of us in this field. Uh, it's growing and it's changing, um, but especially when I entered into this field over a decade ago, uh, there were very few of us and and even fewer in leadership or director positions. And so um, that was one of the, the struggles uh, early on was thinking about how um, my identity coming into this space, being a, a woman of color, 
Um, and being someone who looks younger than I actually am, uh, those dynamics played out in spaces uh, where, you know, sustainability, even if I have a manager position or a director level position, I don't have a whole department. Uh, I have two and a half staff, uh, including me. And so when, so there's this power imbalance that uh, is at play and sustainability can often be a a lonely space, uh, especially if you are a staff of one, which I have been before um, within an organization. And so one of the things that's really uh, helped me stay in this field is uh, my network of other sustainability professionals of color. Um, And so through the uh, Urban Sustainability Directors Network, which is the network that I was referencing earlier, uh, we have put together um, an affinity group of people of color doing this work in local government. And that uh, developing that space was so important because we had unique experiences that um, no one else was having. And without being able to talk about that with other people that understood where I was coming from, I can tell you right now, I would not be in this field right now because it it was a lot to process, Um, especially work, you know, uh, part of my past was working in a, um, a community that was, was very conservative. And uh, when sustainability uh, started to be more visible in terms of including conversations around equity uh, and how that related to sustainability, that was not always met with in a positive way. And um, there was a lot of, um, you know, pressure that, that comes with that. And as a person of color, I can't just shut that off when I leave for work every day, you know, that comes home with me and sits with me. And so by providing that space with other people of color in my field who have similar experiences, or at least can understand where I'm coming from, um, that was critical. That support group has been um, critical. That support network has been critical in uh, me staying in the field and being able to be successful in um, in advancing the work that that is a priority for me. So, I would say that's that's one thing that definitely ten years ago was not something that I knew was important coming into the field, but uh, is uh, is a critical piece of of why I am where I am today. Jasmine, I love that story, and I'm so happy to hear about that. Um network of support and what it's been, you know, what it's provided for you and for others. And that's actually a really great segue to, I want to zoom out just a little bit and ask you about um, how you have seen sustainability and local government evolving in the last several years. I mean, you've you've touched on this a couple of times in some of your other answers, but I just wanted to kind of go a little bit more macro on that and, and ask you about those changes. What are you seeing? Yeah, I would say that um, 10 years ago, I I think in local government, the focus really was on energy, um, energy efficiency, conservation. Um, There was the American Recovery Act that uh, directly gave payments to cities and counties across the country for energy efficiency and conservation. 
Uh, and so that became a, a, a priority. Um, and many of the sustainability positions were created because of that funding. Um, and so a lot of those initial conversations were more towards the technical work of how can we save energy? How can we uh, change our buildings? Um, what needs to be, you know, what, what needs to be fixed? Um, and I would say now that has evolved significantly because one, we've done some of that low hanging fruit. Um, the, the easy stuff was, was done with some of that money. Um, and it helped that, I think that that money really helped to push us beyond the conversations around sustainability um, costing more. Um, because I know that you know, early on, one of the things that Douglas County did with that, that those stimulus funds was create this revolving fund, re revolving loan fund for internal um, upgrades when it came to sustainability. So things that we knew were the more sustainable choice, but cost more. This rotating or revolving fund would help pay for that gap. And then the savings that we ultimately got from those projects would go back into the fund so that we could continue to, to fund more sustainable projects. Since then, uh, a lot of those things that we use the funding for are now standard practice. Uh, it's not even sustainable practice. It's just standard operating project or practice when it comes to a remodel or um, a new facility or, or those types of things. So, so, so that's been a significant um, evolution and progress. And I think that it's also a demonstration that all those things have become really more integrated into not just, you don't need a sustainability manager to tell you that you need efficient lights. Like the industry has changed around that. Um, the people working in facilities are starting to be more progressive in those ways. And so uh, where 10 years ago, it was more about the sustainability person was the cheerleader and the champion for sustainability and had to convince everyone um, to come to the table and try out these new things. Now, uh, these are becoming industry standards uh, and it doesn't have to, we don't have to convince people um, for every little thing. Now, not to say that there's not, um, that that still doesn't happen because like I said earlier, it, it takes uh, it takes persistence and patience and relationship building to, to get things done. But a lot of that has become more integrated um, so that the sustainability person's not the only place that they're hearing this from. That's great. I mean, I think that integration is so critical. And it's really positive to hear that it's there have been some, you know, good implications on sort of how it's understood as an extra cost and how it's being validated and, and all of that. Um, and I we've I wondered too, if you could expand a little bit on, and you mentioned it earlier, a couple of questions ago of this, the, you know, as, as equity is becoming more understood as a part of the sustainability um, effort and the overall advancement on that front, and what kind of, what progress have you seen on that front in, in local government? Yeah, I think that equity has really become a core component of sustainability in these last five years on a national and international stage. Because when you talk about sustainability, oftentimes you're talking about the environmental impacts, the fiscal impacts and the human impacts. And there's 
there's lots of interpretations, but you could interpret that because you're listing human impacts last, that that's the last thing that people are thinking about. And I think that was the case um, for a while. Um, I don't think that's the case anymore. And within uh, local governments, uh, sustainability, equity are tied really closely together because um, one of the definitions of sustainability that, that uh, we, the way that we talk about it now is sustainability, in Lawrence, this is how I frame it, is sustainability is living today like you really believe there's going to be a tomorrow and the next day and the next generation from now. And so that influences, first, it centers people. Um, and it, you know, if you're thinking that way, it, that influences how you treat your neighbors. If you're going to see them tomorrow and you know you're going to see them the next day after that, then that will influence how, how much compassion you have when you interact with them. Um, if you think that you're going to be around tomorrow, then you're thinking about how you are interacting with your physical environment around you. Uh, and um, if you're gonna be here tomorrow and generations from now, you're gonna spend your money differently than if you just had to focus on today. So uh, really thinking about equity within the context of existing, like how are we existing in this community? And what is the quality of life that we want in this community for everyone? Uh, it, not just the, um, we're not just saving the environment for the environment's sake, we're saving the environment for us so that we can, we can be around uh, generations from now. So um, looking at how equity plays into that is a major part of you know, making sure that that holistic view of sustainability is driving uh, the decisions that we're making um, is, is a pretty significant advancement. And it's happened in these last few years because of the willingness to talk about racial equity. Um, and that's not limited to sustainability. That's happening in local governments all over. I think we've seen in the last year that's happened a lot more. Um, and I'm hopeful that we can continue to elevate both sustainability and equity as really core components of how we should be doing our work as, as local governments across the country. Jasmine, I love the emphasis on sort of how you're defining it, like what sustainability means to a citizen of Lawrence or Douglas County or anywhere. And, and it makes me think of that example you gave about the work in central Arkansas when you were defining sustainability for those people in that place at that time, right? I love the specificity of that and the sort of centering uh, um, that that does to the whole idea, because sustainability, it's a terrible word, actually, um, <laughs> speaking of words, um, and it, it's so general and so abstract and so does not feel specific to person in place. So I love that. That's really, really Yeah, good. I totally agree. It's also just so refreshing to hear such different language being used to describe uh, the work that, that you do. Uh, it, it has, obviously, it's not just the language, it's the way that it impacts the results of that work, um, which yeah, kind of brings us full circle on this point about the words we use and how we engage people and allowing them to find their own words for these things. I think it really like it 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 brings us all together um, in into better collective action. So it's super inspiring. Um, I wish we had more time to talk about it, but we are basically out of time, and we want to ask you 
our last question, Jasmine. So uh, if you will, please leave us with um, help uh, telling us who you are inspired by these days, who, who keeps you going, where do you find light? So I was thinking about this question and two people came to mind. The first one is Mr. Fred Rogers. Um, yeah, I grew up with Mr. Rogers and I've been reading lots of books about him recently. And it was, it's just a great reminder of the importance of compassion and uh, that making mistakes is okay and how we can learn from them. And I will say that as I've spent this last year at home with, with my two boys, um, sometimes we watch Mr. Rogers at lunch and I always feel so much better after, after watching an episode. And I think that's because uh, of how he really is a, a demonstration of, of what compassion looks like, which is so important in the work that we do. Um, so, so that's number one. And then my second is Adrienne Marie Brown who is an author and poet and doula and all of these other things. Um, she's the author of one of her books is Emergent Strategy. And it's, it's one that I read uh, in 2019 um, and really helped me think differently about climate work and engagement and relationship building. Um, and it was one of her quotes that helped me think about that, that uh, dilemma of like technical problems and solutions versus like what actually needs, what do we need to make progress on an issue? Uh, and so like one of her quotes is, we have all the information we need to create change. It isn't a matter of facts. It's a matter of longing, having the will to imagine and implement something else. And, and that in, in it of itself um, kind of uh, encapsulates the challenge of, of climate change and, and how we are working on this. And so um, those, are, those are the two people that, that I have in my head these days. Oh my gosh, I cannot say enough amazing things. I am reading Emergent Strategy right now and I love it so much. It's I, I never get to answer the question, what is inspiring me these days? And so you just totally nailed it. Thank you. I found that book so helpful and illuminating and just supportive in this incredible way. If you all haven't read this book, it's uh, it's just all the things. It's an emotional journey. Um, but yeah, I'm so thank you, Jasmine, for, for that quote and for just reminding us all um, of that, that bit about, um, you know, data and knowledge and, and, and longing. It's so beautiful. What a nice way um, to wrap up. Thank you so much again for being with us. It's been such a pleasure, Jasmine. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, absolutely. And thank you all for listening. So uh, that is it for us this week on the Design the Future podcast. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe and we'll see you next week.